Wednesday at 8 p.m. and you're listening to Brave New Radio. I missed um, you last week. I've always missed you. Every week I've missed you. I can't see you at all, Doctor. And why did Marconi. I miss you last week? We didn't have a show last week oh, because that's right. there was a gubernatorial convention. That's no, it, right. what was it? Debate. 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 Yes. Debate. Is that, how would you say debate in Spanish, Christian Ortez? <laughs> it's a made-up word. Um, right. This is Brave New. Uh, this is Brave New Radio, and we're listening to Music Biz 101 and more on that Brave New Radio. Yes. <laughs> what a show! What a show! We have Dr. Esteban Marconi right my over there you on your right, much. my left, and my co-host uh, Professor David Philp. I am Professor David Kirk Philp. It's great to be here, Dr. Esteban. Uh-huh. I did miss you. Yeah. I love spending my Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. with you. It's like being curled up together Where were we by last the fire. Wednesday night. Sharon, I didn't I, go to the debate. You did go to the debate. No, I didn't. I, I thought you went to TV. the debate. You had a ticket to the debate. Yes, but Pat went. I did not go. He gave his ticket to his girl, to his yes, gal. To Pat. Uh, I didn't go to the debate. I watched him on. But uh, yeah, so apparently uh, there's going to be an election in New Jersey. So let's tell yeah. voters to vote. Listeners to vote. Two, vote. Not yeah. next Tuesday, the Tuesday <laughs> after? No. The I'm, Tuesday after that. I don't know. Well, the, the no. next Tuesday is Halloween. Yes. The one after that is the seventh, and that 30, would be that would be the election day. day. There we yes. go. So, uh, so it's two weeks. Two weeks from uh, yesterday. yesterday, and today is it's anyway. Yes. It's for the podcast. Vote. They don't no matter care what. About, right. Vote. Yes. Just vote. And so uh, we have Music Biz 101 and more. I've said that a number of times. We're listening in the background to Don't Let Love Down. Thanks to Rob Fusari for that. We have Ashley Weltner, who is taking care of business here with the sound. Yes. Thank you, Ashley, for taking care of the business. Doing a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful job, and then we have our student co-host of the of the year on right now with us, El Guapo Christian Ortez. Oh, Christian hey. Ortez, there we go. This is great because I speak a little bit of Spanglish and no, he speaks. I, I, I assume you speak a whole bunch of Spanish. Bunch, yes. All right. Okay. Whooping and everything. So he he's got he, he can whoop in Spanish. He whoop in Espanol. That's very good. So. Um, I can tell. I went to Christian. You're a member of what is the student group that you're a member of here? I'm a member of the uh, MEO meeting, the MEO organization. MEO. 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 Music and Entertainment Organization, student-run group that does a bunch of stuff here on campus. Mm -hmm. And uh, so two weeks ago, we had Music Biz 101 and more live. And we'll be listening to that show in December. Yes, we will. And that, well, I think December 20th, we will listen to that. And Ashley produced that for us, which is very nice of her. And we want to remind people, so we've done all that stuff, to go to musicbiz101wp.com, sign up for our newsletter, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, the face of the book, at musicbiz101wp. And, of course, we are a podcast available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Should we thank Aaron Van Dyne now? Sure. Let's thank Aaron Van Dyne, the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno, Inc., and White Hat Management. Because, listeners, with artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, and Kiss, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB... 
Com at the best time for you. We should always also and remind a, you. A shout out way to Aaron for speedy recovery. Aaron had knee surgery. No, he did Hip not. Hip surgery. Yes, he did. Because the knee was fine. He had actually he had a knee replacement once, didn't he? No, he didn't. Well, maybe he should because he's limping. <laughs> no, no, it's time to go. Hip. Thank you for listening. Good night. I think that's from the hip. No, no. But anyway, we wish him a speedy recovery. We do. We do. And a hundred percent recovery. Not ninety-eight. No. One hundred percent. You're giving no your limp, giving no your all. Pain. That's nice. No nothing. Aaron, we're praying for you. Yeah. Mandy Junior Band, sixth edition, Dr. Marconi. It's when available. Did that come it? out? That came out June 6, 6, 6, 2017. Wow, what a coincidence. Sixth edition on 6, 6. How's it selling? It's selling like hotcakes, okay. if you're a fan of the pancake. <laughs> yes, and he's not kidding. No, I'm not. He really is doing well. And if uh, this book is available with or without maple syrup. Mm-hmm. So that's one one special promotion that we're doing. When we, it's funny because we're going to talk with Adam Ritchie about a promotion that he did with his band, The Lights Out. Yep. And they did a promotion with their record Trip and a, a new kind of beer. Mm-hmm. And we had our book come out, Managing Your Band 6 Edition, and our promotion is with Log Cabin. Right. Because of the hotcakes thing. Yes. So uh, why and don't Mrs. we... Butterworth. And I love Mrs. Butterworth because she, well, to me, she's very attractive. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Esteban killing it tonight. So, is Adam Ritchie on the air with us? Adam Ritchie, you there, baby? Oh, he's here. How you guys doing? Great. Great. How about you, Adam? I'm doing great. Uh, I have a question, actually, for Esteban. Yes. Esteban, uh, <laughs> I'm calling in uh, from a 315 area code. Oh, and, wow. Uh, and how might that be? Boy, where are you, in Syracuse? <laughs> no, but uh, I went there. And oh. I kept the same phone number since I went to the music industry school there. Ah, so you were you've got a degree in music business. That's right. Wow, that's great. And which uh, school were you in? Was it the Bandier or was it earlier than that? Uh, it was right before it became Bandier. Uh-huh. And, uh, and my professors were Doug Sawyers and David Rezek. Right. And um, nice I was a PR major at the Newhouse School and uh-huh. a music industry minor. Uh-huh. Great. Great. Yes, they were both very close friends of mine. They were. Yeah, they're so, not anymore. Well, they Sawyer's were. passed away. Yes. And, and, but, uh, and Dave is So retired. tonight, uh, Dr. Right. Saban's chickens are coming home to roost. Yes. Great. Because <laughs> I had told him that you used to teach at Syracuse before. Yes, I did. 11 years. That's right. Three degrees yeah. in 11 years. And you were originally from Freehold, Adam? That's right. Uh, there. Okay, so I remembered one thing. See, Adam, for our listeners, is the principal at Adam Ritchie Brand Direction, and he's also the guitarist for The Lights Out, and he put together this awesome promotion that came out in February mm-hmm. that we're here to talk about. But did you have any other questions for Dr. Esteban Marconi? Because he's probably more I interesting. Have, I have one more for him from David Rezek ah. 10 minutes ago that I'm going to save for the end. Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay, we'll make sure we give you 10 minutes because he'll... Great. Talk. So, Mar- so Marconi, Adam, take over. Did, yeah. Uh, who thought of it? The beer promotion. I mean, how did it come about? The thought of it, not that we'll get to the actual, um, uh, you know, promotion itself. But uh, who came up with it? Sure. Well, we were reinventing this band um, around the time of South by Southwest 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had been a band since 2007, and it was our first time playing South by Southwest, and mm-hmm. we were doing an official showcase through Berkeley uh, College of Music because our singer is a Berkeley alum. He mm-hmm. went there for guitar. Um, 
So we played this show. Uh, we had a blast doing it. And then at night, we decided to go out wearing these light-up jumpsuits we had created to go to Burning Man because we'd go to Burning Man as a band vacation. We wouldn't play there because the climate is not good on instruments. Yeah. But we took like a band retreat there every year. Ah. And we designed these LED suits right. to wear at night because you have to light yourself at night for safety. But yeah. we became these Southwestern characters, and we called our camp the Border Patrol. So we were luchadors, <laughs> and we were mariachis, and we were electric cowgirls. And, you know, we had a whole group of these light-up iridescent uh, southwestern theme character. So we said, well, let's bring those suits and let's wear them out at night on 6th Street in Austin. Right. So we did, and it was like we were the Beatles or something. <laughs> we just got <laughs> mobbed. We couldn't go two steps without people to stop us for a picture. And we said, oh, my God, you know, we played a showcase today that was one of the biggest shows of our lives, and it went great, and people dug it. But the minute we walked out <laughs> these LED uh -huh. suits four hours later, it, we're we're getting more attention. We've never felt like such rock stars. So, God, maybe we've been doing this wrong. Maybe we have to incorporate this lighting somehow in our live show. But if we were to do that, how do we explain uh, the reason for us doing that? And uh, we said, okay, well, we're going to become a band of pan-dimensional travelers. And we're going to start writing songs about parallel universes. And every song we write is going to be a report or a story or a character that we've encountered somewhere out there in the multiverse. <laughs> and the reason we're lighting up and the light's going to go in sync with every second of every song because we're crazy like that. The reason this is happening is because we take the audience through the darkness between realities and they've got to follow us and you've got to light yourself out there to get from one you know, uh, state to the neck. And that's how this is going to happen. And uh, our drummer, who also went to Syracuse, mm. he was a uh, industrial design major and a music industry minor. And he invented this wearable light show that we call the color machine. And he programmed it using a computer he found in China with a thousand computer-controlled LEDs so that every second of every song is synchronized. So if someone takes a guitar solo, they light up like a supernova. If we sing about a sunset, you see a sunset blooming across our bodies and instruments. So we said, okay, so we've got, we got the concept. We know what the next record's going to be. We're going to go underground for two years and write and build and solder and write and rehearse and not play out, which is totally not what you want to do after you just played your first South by Southwest yeah. in this case. You just want to keep that going. We said, nope. We, we, we know where the new bar is. We have, to, we have to get there. We can't just roll this out piecemeal. We're going in, literally into the garage and going dark for as long as it takes to write this record and build this show. So once we did, as this was nearing completion, we said, okay, so how are we going to release this? We're, we're doing something that's really different. We can't just put this out on a CD. We can't just do a vinyl or a, a cute tape cassette or just digital. That's boring. Uh, we call, you know, when you find an album on Spotify and you just click save and then you got it, it's like dragging and dropping a gallon of milk onto your online grocery order. <laughs> There's no fun to it. There's no quest anymore. Uh, we wanted people to go into a music store and, and find this album and discover it on a shelf 
the way you used to go in and just take a chance on a new record because it had a cool because that Roger Dean artwork was just so yeah, killer. Right. Right. And then you take it home and you, God, what is this going to sound like? And then you put it on and maybe you cracked open a beer or something else and you let that thing wash over you. And then the music sounded like the art and the art looked like the music sounded and you get this experience. And it's, it's something you'll never forget. And a lot of fans are made that way. But there was no way, there was no chance for us to get this either carried uh, in a music store because we're an unsigned independent band. Um, and even if it was, we didn't think anyone would find it there because people aren't just taking chances on that stuff yeah. anymore. And these stores are carrying, you know, just to stay alive, are carrying Hello Kitty pajamas and Transformers lunchboxes and, you know, all this pop culture merchandise. Uh, just to stock the shelves, and that's what people are going there for. It's at the music stores, or they're going there for classic editions of, you know, uh, reissued deluxe super sets of albums that are already classics. Um, so the discovery process has been lost there. Mm-hmm. But there's one thing that we knew that the discovery process, in the, its physical form, is alive and well, and that's at the beer store. Mm-hmm. And we said even as musicians, we're probably going to the music store way less than we ever have. But, God, we're going to the beer store at least once a week. And when we go, we're always looking for that new thing on the shelf that we've never tried before. Because mm-hmm. we're craft beer drinkers, and our favorite beer is the one we've never tried. So that's when we said, okay, let's see if we can make this work, and how are we going to make this work? Well, first got to find a brewery to go in with us on this crazy idea. And then how are they going to get it? Well, we don't just want to do a download code because that's boring. It's not engaging. It's not interactive. So we're going to find some way to use social media as a retrieval mechanism for the music. Okay. So with that in mind, we started talking to some craft breweries. And one thing that's interesting for your audience, if you have a lot of musicians here, is there's probably something like 5,000 craft breweries in the country right now. Mm. And we may have just plateaued with the, the number, but it's been this exponential growth explosion of craft brewers in the last 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're growing at a rate that bands <laughs> are forming. And they're opening up more breweries as clubs are closing. And we said, God, this is like the trends of the beer industry are like the reverse trends of the music industry. So let's, let's, kind of jump on this boat and see how far we can ride this. So we talked to, you know, a few breweries and, and one of them really got it and they got it hard. We didn't know anyone there. We just approached them and we said, we want to do something that's never been done before in the history of music or beer. And we want to do it with you. And the ones that really caught hold of this idea was a brewery called Aeronaut. And they were founded by scientists from MIT and Cornell who decided they want to get into brewing. So when we told them that this was an album about parallel universes and all these things and every decision you make splitting off into a whole other reality, they just said, oh, you mean like the multiverse? Mm-hmm. And we said, these are our guys. Right. <laughs> right. So then they said, okay, done. Let's do this. We, this is so rad. We want to we put out uh, your album on our beer. And then they said, well, what kind of beer do you want? And we said, you know what? One of the nice things about bringing your album to a brewery instead of a record label is you're not going to tell us what kind of album to make. So we're not going to tell you what kind of beer to brew. Yeah. So here's a rough cut of the record. Listen to it. Here's the story behind it. Here's what we look like visually. Here's our backstory and just brew whatever the sounds inspire. And we'll work with you, you know, along the way, we'll help you prototype. 
but just, you know, let your creativity run wild. So they took this rough cut of the record and they listened to it and they came back with this recipe for a beer that was a paradox. Because if you believe in infinity in the multiverse, then paradoxes exist somewhere out there. <laughs> so they made this beer called an Imperial Session IPA. And Imperial usually means loaded with alcohol. And Session usually means slow, low drinking. You can drink it all day. Uh, but this, this beer was like 7.5% Imperial Session beer. Whoa. Loaded with alcohol, loaded with flavor, but very drinkable. Uh, and they called it Trip we decided to name the whole project the same thing, which was short for The Reckonings in Pandimensionality. So that was going to be the name of the record. So we called the beer that, too. The whole thing's trip. Kind of like how Neil Young, when he did the Greendale project, called the whole thing Greendale. It was yeah. a record. It was a stage show. It was a movie. It was a book, right? So when you're launching some multimedia, multi-platform project monster thing, it really helps with the branding if you can just simplify and call it the same thing thing. <laughs> so, uh, so that's where we ended up at. And we, we met with their artist who does all their label artwork uh, and shared photos and videos of the band. So we, we wear these light up goggles on stage and our instruments light up. And uh, he created this character that was kind of in his aesthetic blended with ours. That was this pan-dimensional traveler on the label. And there was a, uh, our color machine flying through a wormhole between realities behind this guy. There was a giant eyeball with tentacles hanging off of him that was one of the songs that we had written called A Cosmic Gardener, which was based on the Arthur C. Clarke um, idea of intelligent life being spread through the universe by this, you know, um, highly developed gardener-type uh, life forms. And uh, on the label of the beer, we had a social media trigger. So when a drinker would get this on the shelf and they'd bring it home, it said to listen to this album tweet this to the life down in Aeronaut Brewing. So once they tweeted that, we had a, a chat bot installed on our Twitter account that would listen for this hashtag. And every time it heard this hashtag being posted, it would automatically reply to the sender and tell that drinker what they were doing right now in a parallel reality and give them a link to the album. Yeah. So that way we knew who was getting it. We could talk to them. They got an instant surprise. And they also got to experience taste and smell and touch and flavor and sound and this music all at once and all at the same time and have this multi-sensory experience. So in a way, you know, what we were trying to do is bring back this element of physical discovery that's been lost to music ever since the beginning of digital. And we were trying to use technology to solve a problem technology created. Mm -hmm. And you were doing it, uh, they would get the music for free then. Well, they had to buy the beer to get it. Well, yes, I mean, but they would buy the beer anyway if they were buying beer. And this was just a value-added piece uh, on the can, I assume. Sure. If they were looking for the weird new thing, then they, they probably would have reached for it. If they were fans of the Lights Out, they would have said, holy smokes, this is the new Lights Out record. If they were fans of uh, Aeronaut, they would have said, oh, this is a cool new thing from them we haven't tried. All right. Right. But uh, it's interesting that, you know, the same people who wouldn't spend $15 on an album would definitely spend $15 on a four-pack of craft beer, no question. Mm -hmm. So did you make a, any fiduciary uh, deal with the beer company, or how did that That's, partnership work? 
Sure. That's the one thing that I won't talk about <laughs> is, is, is the money deal. No, I don't. I, yeah, I don't want you to get specifics. But oh, I mean, yeah. they were in concert with you, you know, with doing an arrangement of some sort. Yeah, we just said we're, we're going to go in on this together. Okay. And because uh, mm -hmm. there's there's no template to follow here. Right. And, exactly. uh, and we approached the whole thing as an experiment. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it went so well that they uh, about eight months later, they said, God, that went so well. Let's do that again. <laughs> uh -huh. They said, let's bring it back. Cause the, the, the album beer sold out in about two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, and then we got all this, you know, really good media attention from it, too. And it, it created a lot of buzz. And they said, how fast can we get this on the rebrewing schedule? Right. And uh, and we did it. And they ended up brewing twice as much the second time. And how about how many and cans then, did they do the first time? The first run was about 2,000, mm -hmm. and the second time was about four. Right. And you got then 2,000 plus another 4,000 Twitter addresses that the band never had. Well, I wouldn't say that many, because that's assuming that everyone who got yeah, it yeah, activated okay. it. You right. know? But, but we definitely, uh, both the band and the brewery, grew our Twitter and social media following significantly from that. Mm -hmm. could, I, could I ask you something, since you're also in brand management, and uh, mm -hmm. from my time <clears throat> doing things like that, like in radio and, and looking at, at mail order and things like that, a general response rate, like acceptable response rate, has always been like a percentage of 1%, half of 1%, 1% something yeah. like, that, like with mail mm -hmm. order. Was your response rate then kind of going off on uh, Dr. Esteban Marconi's question, uh, was it gr much greater than 1%, 2 3%? In terms of oh god, I don't even know. Um, I didn't. I didn't even tally the final number uh, either. I just knew when this thing was on shelves, my phone kept lighting up. Okay. And it mm -hmm. was like uh, it was like Christmas mm -hmm. <laughs> every time it happened because these are strangers that are engaging with your band, you know, and it's like they're people you wouldn't have talked to otherwise. Yeah. Now the lights you did are the lights we saw on the YouTube uh, video. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They would be certainly a conversation piece, if not more, when you, right. when you so, see people walking down the street with them. Oh, right. So, uh, you know, part of the problem, too, is, is uh, as a band, you're, you're at these clubs and you, you're watching the other bands play and half the people are on their phones checking Facebook. Mm -hmm. And we said, God, you know, the reason that is is because we think a lot of independent bands, we, we spend a lot of time on our craft. And our musicianship and our songs i mean hopefully we do right uh but a lot of the time we don't think about that visual aspect yeah and uh, i read something you know uh, a couple of years ago that said every classic band looks like action figures of themselves hmm. and i really took that to heart and said you know if you if you think about it you could boil down freddie mercury's outfit david bowie's outfit elvis's outfit uh, Axl Rose's classic look to a, a pixel video game, if you had to. Yeah. And people would know what that was. Mm -hmm. And we said, that is, that's where the bar has been set for this stuff. Why aren't we aiming for that? And when we did this, we actually had, we played a show out on Long Island. And uh, a fan gave us all clamshells of paintings of the band that were just very simple, like single brush strokes of, for each element that glowed in the dark of all of us. And we said, we got this. If a fan can give you a clamshell painting of the band and people know exactly who that is, we've, we've got this piece of it. This is in place now. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's cool. Okay, tell us a little bit about your company now. Have, oh, sure. Uh, it's, uh, have it's there uh, bands picked up on it, or your, or do you go beyond the music scene? The the only band the the company does PR for is mine, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that that that's intentional. Um, I mean, we've like gosh, I've been doing PR for a little bit more than fifteen years now, and have done everything from Perrier to Timberland to Jiffy Lube to Ben and Jerry's to Hasbro to General Mills um, to Magic Hat Beer to mm-hmm. Even Flow Strollers to Sonic Bids, which is a music uh, business. Um, to the world's largest swimming pool, the treadmill desk, to cybersecurity. So, you know, I, if it's interesting or if I can make it interesting, that's typically what we do. It's largely consumer products. Mm-hmm. So, the... but we apply that discipline to the band and the band's marketing too. This band has a message guide. So, when we do interviews, we, we read through the message guide. We make sure, okay. As we do this interview, we want to make sure these three to five points get made about this. And it, it's kind of like going into the recording studio. Uh, if you're doing an interview, it's like the red light going on. You wouldn't go into the recording studio and try and write the song. Nobody has money for that anymore. That song has to be so worked out. By the time that red light hits, you're capturing that best performance. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, and I, when I talk to bands, you know, not clients, but occasionally I speak on panels and things at industry conferences, is, you know, we coach them and we say, make sure you have that list of points down in your RAM, right, that you're thinking about this. And, and during the course of that interview, find ways to bring those up. And there are certain ways to flag statements and call attention to them so they know that's the quote that they pull. And it's, uh, that's the same advice I give clients, whether they're talking to the Wall Street Journal or to their trade outlet or to a blog. So the, the, the discipline of good communication and brand marketing can be applied whether you're working with a band or a brand. Mm-hmm. So like a lot like politics. We were joking at the yeah. top of this about we had the gubernatorial debate on um, last week, and um, they all had their own talking points that were carefully scripted out well in advance. And in fact, the provost of our university is sending emails stating that, you know, that wasn't really a debate. These debates that we see on TV aren't debates anymore. These are really just PR events for each candidate to just, you know, spew out their lines that they already put together. Um, It's not a real debate. And so it's kind of what you're saying. And I actually talk to bands here on campus, the same thing. When you do your live show, kind of like what you're saying, um, almost script out the things you're going to do, the banter you do, instead of just the, hey, how's everybody doing tonight? Mm-hmm. You know, which mm-hmm. everybody right. says, can you say something different? You know, there's got to right. be something else you can do. Just put some more thought, as much thought into that as you put into the music. Yeah. And you're saying the exact same thing when it comes to interviews. Every chance you get to get in front of people, it's an opportunity to present that message and, and uh, back it up over and over again. Mm-hmm. Right. And in that live setting, too, you know, it's really important to even pre-sell a song. If you tell someone, you know, from the stage a little bit about how this song came together or what it's about or the, what was going through the band's lives at the time it was written, you're prepping them to hear this piece of music. And they're going to hear things in that that they normally wouldn't, and they'll take it to heart. It's kind of like when you're doing a food tasting. So if we have, like, a, like a food client and we have the, the person that developed this recipe or whatever, 
um, leading media through a tasting. They say, okay, first you're going to get a little bit of sweetness, and then you're getting a little bit of this, and then you're going to mm. you, you you hold their hands, and they will actually they'll, they'll experience that stuff and appreciate it more than if you just said, here's the bag of chips, have at it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can can we go back um, to? the very beginning of when you were trying to reach out to these various breweries. Yeah. Because I think one thing, a lot of people hear it and they go, oh, I, I guess the the real deep part of the brewery, the Aeronaut Brewery that you got in touch with, how did you even find who the decision maker was? Can you kind of explain that? And did you just cold call them? Did you use LinkedIn? What did you do to get through to that person? What did you say in order to get the meeting and to you know, get their attention and then eventually close the deal so that other people can kind of follow your template? Sure. Um, starting at the very beginning, I think a lot of independent bands look at a band, say, like Queen or ACDC or Iron Maiden, and they go, wow, those bands have their own beers, of course. They're huge bands, right? And they all do. And they go... I would really love it if my band had a beer, but we're just, we're not big enough. We're not major. People don't know us, blah, blah, blah. But what they forget is that there are breweries right now vying for attention the same way independent bands are, are vying for attention, and they're trying to differentiate themselves. And a lot of breweries are very arts-friendly, too, and performing arts and music-friendly because they understand they're marketing toward the same kind of consumer. So... Uh, if you're a band, get that out of your head right now that you're not big enough or not, you know, major enough to have that conversation. Or if you think you don't have the business savvy to do it, that's okay. It shouldn't stop you from reaching out and taking a swing at this stuff. And I say this as an unsigned independent band that no one really cared about. And and we did it. And uh, it wasn't magic. We literally um, found the email address that says, hey, contact us. And it was like info at Aeronaut. And, uh, and we just wrote a really solid pitch saying why we were going to them, how they were recommended, making it very specific, and then really laying this out that we want we wanted to create something together that no one's ever done before. Uh, that's not going to work for the next band to try. But now <laughs> the next band to try can say, we'd like to make something that is a proven strategy. <laughs> you get to say that now. We proved it could work, right? And, uh, and they wrote back in the, uh, almost immediately and just said, let's get this together. And, and, of course, it takes time to get those meetings on the books and things get canceled and rescheduled because if you're a craft brewery right now, you're, you're, you're in a major race and you don't have a lot of time. You're almost like a startup, and uh, there's a lot of things to consider. So it takes a lot of patience, uh, too. And, um, you know, you, you really have to trust each other. And well, we came down to the wire on a lot of stuff, like the, the labels for the beer weren't ready the day we had the video crew coming in to shoot our promo. Uh, and the CEO of the brewery literally got in his car and drove like two hours to get a batch of test labels from the printer. Mm. Uh, they, they were, you know, really on board with this thing. But uh, it, was, it could be a nail-biter <laughs> at times. And you also have to take into account the time it takes to concept a beer, to package it, to label it, to brew it, and all that stuff. Uh, a bit, one of the mistakes bands make, and you run into this a lot, uh, especially with just promotion, is it's like CD release gig night, and they're still waiting on the tracking number for like the box of a thousand discs or whatever. Yeah, right. Like, if, if you're in that, like, man, you you are way, you're so far behind. Like, what, what are you doing? Uh, it takes normally a good six months to plan out a release, and when you're dealing with a beer, it can take more. And it's very hard as a band to say, 
we've been living with these songs now for years. They've been done. They're recorded. We just want to get them out and kind of out of our lives already and move on to the next thing. And it takes a lot of discipline to say we could do that the way we always do it, or we can wait <laughs> and we can go in and do something really, really special. And it's hard to do. No one says you can't keep writing in the meantime. Keep writing. But you have to let those things and give them the time that they need for a good product and a good project and a good campaign to come together. Mm -hmm. and, and since the release of this, have you uh, been contacted by um, any agents or labels or, or managers, people like that, who've seen this and, and are kind of thinking, Ooh, I can hook my uh, wagon to these guys and help them out and make them bigger? Absolutely not. Really? <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, and that's, and that's, that's the truth. And we, we never <laughs> thought it, uh, that wasn't the goal uh, anyway, you know. Uh, and, that's, and that's even after, you know, we are the PR campaign that we waged for this thing. It, you got to understand this, this launched in the middle of, uh, it was like 11 12, I think. So it was election week, first of all. <laughs> and mm. things in the media were a little bit weird <laughs> that week, right? Right. And then uh, so you had election, right? Then you had Thanksgiving right after that. And then you had, uh, actually, I have, a, I have a timeline of, like, all the things that, that were in our way. Oh, yeah. Election, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, Inauguration Day, March on Washington, Travel Band, Super Bowl. That's <laughs> all in the three-month window we were launching this thing. Um, and all that, with all that going on, uh, we still got feature stories on this in the AV Club, in Uprock. Then we went to lifestyle media, and we had a huge interview at Men's Journal. Uh, then we went to music media, and we had Pace and Alternative Press uh, cover it. Business media, like Market Watch did a huge story. Adweek did a huge story. Food and Wine magazine dedicated a lot of space to it. Uh, of course, Beverage Trades. We went to, to Beer News. We went to Beer Advocate. Packaging media. Uh, geek Science media. Of course, Boston media really liked it because it was a, a local story to them. But part of the, the strategy was to make this thing that was happening in Boston go national. That's what we did. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, even with that, you know, something like 100 million consumer impressions from all that media coverage, our, our phone or email did not light up even once with even a gig offer. That's a surprise. <laughs> no agents, no labels, no nothing. And that's, that's, that's the reality. Yeah. Uh, we didn't expect any of that stuff to happen. We, we were just psyched to do it. And we said, no one can take this from us. This is done, you know. This thing exists. We made it. Uh, and and it, it's so unique. And that's, that's what counts. It, it was part of the art of the creating of this project uh, for us. Hmm. And uh, if we had thought that this was going to make us famous, like we, we, we never operated under those illusions. And we've done other stuff like this in the past, too. Uh, we had an EP, gosh, in 2008 called Rock Pony. And it had a centaur lady on the cover, and we were doing an interview for it with one of the all weeklies. And they said, "Wow, is that centaur lady single?" <laughs> we said, "Oh, that's a good question." So then we made an OK Cupid dating profile for the centaur lady, <laughs> and we answered all the questions like a centaurist would answer the questions. So her favorite foods were oats and water. Her favorite <laughs> movies were Sea Biscuit and The Ring. Right. Uh, she said, "You should message me if you can stand up to a swift kick in the chest." And her hobbies were galloping under a starry field at night. And at the bottom of the profile, we said, this is lovingly maintained by the lights out. If you ask the Rock Pony a question, she will answer you in character. 
and the most creative questions we get, we'll get tickets to shows, merch, et cetera. So we did that, and it sent our web traffic through the roof, and we turned around and pitched it to Billboard as a case study in non-traditional digital marketing. Um, years later, a, another band tried that at South by Southwest on Tinder, and people were saying, wow, isn't this the greatest thing? And some people said, no, no, there was this band, The Lights Out, that like five years ago did, did the same thing on OKCupid. So yeah. I, I like to call us, we're, we're a band that, we're the most unfamous band that does famous. Things. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's funny. Oh, we do have a tweet yeah. for you, and um, Christian's going to read it to you. And this specific tweet um, was uh, you saw a bunch of the tweets leading up to the show, and you were answering some. In this tweet, you said you were going to talk about on the air. So uh, you kind of touched upon it, but it's worth bringing back. This first tweet is from Alexander Morks. He says, how did you conceptually represent and attach your LED light-up gear to your new yeah. record and your band's image? Yes. So that is the whole story of uh, coming together with being this band of pan-dimensional beings, right? And that's the reason we light ourselves up. And, uh, and that's, it's creating that backstory. And actually, once we did that, then it opened new doors and we were playing things like Comic-Cons. Because that's an audience that really enjoys a good backstory and good characters and likes science fiction. Um, we're a band, you know, we're not nerds, we're not geeks, uh, even though it's cool to be a nerd, I guess, these days. We're not. We, ha we have too much fun uh, to be uh, self-styled nerds. But we're into some nerdy stuff. Like, I know my drummer and I grew up playing Magic the Gathering and reading Tolkien. My singer and I have a shelf loaded with sci-fi books and our bass player has a whole room of his house dedicated to Star Wars figures. Uh, that's not stuff we talk about. <laughs> Are any of you married? <laughs> Most of us are. Oh, wow. Good, wow. good yeah. for you. you. You're over. You really overcome a lot. Yeah, does everybody yeah. have uh, day jobs as well, or what? Yeah, we all do, and that's um, it's something we've always prided ourselves on. Our singer uh, has a painting business, mm -hmm. so we tour around in his painting van because it's nice and big and can accommodate ladders, you know. All a right. band's worth of stuff, easy. Our bass player uh, does ad sales, so he is our booker and our venue and our negotiator guy. Mm. Our drummer is an industrial designer, and he's the one who built the color machine. And mm -hmm. I'm the one that does PR, and I come up with uh, these crazy marketing schemes. Mm -hmm. Great. So we, we function like, a, like an agency team, all completely by accident. We, we met each other in a bar in a networking night uh, just in Boston. There was this thing called the Rock and Roll Social, and we just got together because we we were all in the same room kind of looking for people and project, and uh, we walked out of there going, man, I really like those guys. I hope they can play. That was We really liked hanging and having a beer with them. And um, I didn't even know the drummer and I both went to Syracuse. We'd never met, even though we were both in the music industry program. There, wow. <laughs> uh, until I tried out for this band. And we exchanged phone numbers, and we both had 315 area codes. Right. And we said, wait a minute. Wait, did you, oh, yeah, I went there, too. Oh, my God. And we shared band members. We even played some of the same shows, and we just never met each other. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. But, uh, but yeah, we all work. We all uh, have jobs. and uh, But they're jobs that give us flexible schedules that allow us to spend long, late nights and extended weekends on right. the road. We have another tweet for you that you answered on Twitter, but it's a really good question, so you can get it back into it. Our next tweet is from Sarah Shulman. She says, Mr. Ritchie, what's your end goal or mission when working with a new client? Oh, okay. Um, 
It's either to get them in the news or keep them out of the news. <laughs> That's PR. It's, it's, I call it push or pull. Uh, they're either really trying to get something out there or something has happened and they want to minimize the attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or you- something's about to happen and they see it coming and they know it's going to hit them and you help get them ready and you uh, help them communicate that. So it's a one-day story instead of a one-month story. Your answer on Twitter was good, too, and compliments that. You said, in a way, every campaign is like sticking your arm into a hornet's nest. Each one is, <laughs> each one is an uphill battle for awareness. Then you said arts are the toughest. So uh, talk about yeah. that with the, with the, in terms of arts. Yeah, because it, there's so much of it, and it's so subjective. Um, unless you're dealing with a, a famous artist, a famous band, um, nobody cares. Uh, no one cares how good the music is, even if it's really good or how well produced or, uh, you know, there's just so much of it out there. So uh, I always find that, you know, working with anything music related or anything art or uh, they're just it, it's so hard to do versus a physical product where there is even even though there's a ton of beers on the shelf, there's still maybe you go into like a really well stocked craft beer store. Maybe there's like 100. OK, if you're pitching like Pace magazine. You're pitching against tens of thousands of bands all vying for that space, right? So, uh, I mean, part of the reason that the trip campaign worked was because we were bringing beer to music writers. And how often do they get to write about a beer? They're always being asked to write about bands. So that's kind of how we squeaked under the radar being a not famous band because we gave them something totally different. We also found a lot of beer writers at music uh, outlets. Uh, the paste writer that covered us was their beer writer. Um, and it's, you, know, you, you find certain ways in. But, yeah, every campaign you do, it, it, it's like sticking your arm to that hornet's nest of media because um, you're, you're engaging in this delicate ballet of exchange of information. And uh, you each want something out of that exchange, and they might not be in line with each other. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a dangerous thing when it's working. And when, it, when it's not working and you're not getting the desired response, it's a really hard thing to accept. And you come up with crazy ways to get that desired response. Mm-hmm. They're all hard. <laughs> nice. Um, here is another tweet, and you answered this on Twitter too, but uh, it's worth asking you again. It's from her favorite, and it says, What do you hope to achieve as you move forward in your career? And this oh, is yeah. a business answer and then also a band answer. Right. I think, you know, for the band, we always say we are in this for two things, for peak live experiences and to leave behind timeless sonic artifacts. (laughs) And that's why we do it. Notice money is not one of those things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Notice, you know, like there's a lot of things that are not, but but if you're in a band with the right people and the writing process is good and you're all contributing, you can have those memorable experiences in your life and you can leave behind this recorded body of work that you can be proud of forever. Uh, so that's, that's, what, that's what the goal has always been, and that's why when our phones didn't light up after doing all this really cool stuff with a great album, we didn't get down on ourselves. And we're already thinking about the next one and what we're going to do next time, what those songs are going to be. Uh, and for business, it's helping uh, these brands go outside their comfort zone to do something a little bit edgy, and uh, but ultimately safeguard their reputation at the same time. Mm-hmm. Great. And another tweet 
built around the business side of, of you? This is from Christine Welch, and she says, Adam, what do you consider your most cons challenging campaign to date? By the way, bands and beers, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I said to her that they're all hard. Uh, I can't think of a single campaign where it was just like a cakewalk. Even with this last one, um, we'd get some writers really excited about this idea, and then they'd either get laid off or leave their job, and we'd have to start from scratch. Uh, with a whole new writer and resell them on the whole thing. That, that could have happened with Aeronaut, too, in the very beginning. Uh, the people we were talking to might have changed jobs, and that whole thing would have gone up in smoke. That's just the way it goes. You've got to start from square one at a bunch of different stages through any campaign. Um, yeah, they're, they're all hard. That's, that's, why, that's why we make the bucks in PR. I don't know. <laughs> that's why they pay you to do it. Because they're hard and it's a pain in the butt, and uh, it takes a lot of tenacity, and uh, you have you have to change gears a lot. Uh, for instance, when when things were just so dense with campaign coverage when we were trying to push this, we started pitching it in the UK because they were a little less day to day uh, laser focused on Trump. Um, so then we started getting all the UK press. <laughs> and I called it like steering an airplane around a weather system. When we needed a really good progressive uh, hook. Um, we pegged uh, a portion of our sales when we went digital for this record uh, to Bandcamp's donations of the ACLU. Uh, during election week, when people felt like they woke up in an alternate reality, we said, this is the perfect app soundtrack and beverage to people who feel like they just woke up in an alternate universe. You just keep coming up with these hooks and you don't stop, and it's always an uphill battle. That's a great answer. Yeah. That's really good. Here's another tweet for you. This is from Paolo Colholband, and it says, I'm a musician with an inventive mind. Any advice on using my music experience to expand my possibilities? Okay. An inventor slash musician. No, he's so just an, a musician with an inventive mind. Oh, okay. Just he's and creative. Okay. And what is he looking to do? Uh, he wants advice on using his music experience to expand possibilities. Oh, that's a, I'm not quite sure what he's getting at. There, uh, but, let's uh, skip it then. Um, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll give, I'll give him an idea that, that's something I've been toying with. And, and it's, um, it's approaching an album like a project and, and a concise story. So uh, I, I, I was, you know, we kick these things around concepts for records sometimes. I said, wouldn't it be cool if we were if, to take jobs as Uber drivers for a month? And everyone that comes into the Uber, we kind of interview them a little bit. And we get a little bit about their story. And at the end of the night, we go home and we write a song about the most interesting story that we encountered and what that person's life is like and where they're coming or what they were frustrated with or, you know, all that. And then we, we do this album. We call it Drive Tunes. Then we partner with Spotify or Uber to put it through the playlist of all these Uber drivers that are going around because I think Uber is the biggest underrated music discovery platform out there right now. Hmm. Uh, ever since I started taking Uber, this, this past year was one of the first Grammy Awards where I knew every song for the first time in years. And I realized because I'm always getting these Ubers and they're always playing this stuff. So, you know, and then there's, and then there's, you could record part of it in the car. There, there's just, you just start thinking about that. If you're if you have a creative mind like that, you just keep thinking about these possibilities of how can we construct this art project that's also socially relevant that uses our musicianship to tell these stories. 
And that's, you know, I'm not saying that's going to be a hit album, but it'll definitely be like a sign of the time kind of piece. What do you do to promote yourselves on Spotify? Because I'm looking now and uh, Trip, the album, is on Spotify. And yeah. it seems like most of the action you've gotten must have been through the campaign with the beer. Right. So we had to forego all the Spotify love for this thing because the, the only way it worked is we had to be able to say the only way you can get this album is on this beer. And that's using the scarcity approach. Mm -hmm. right? Right. Because if you put it online, then they, anyone can get it anywhere. And it, it makes that other thing you're doing a lot less special. Mm -hmm. So by saying, like, you can't get this album unless you get your ass to the beer store and you pick this thing up. Or if you just ask us nicely <laughs> behind you know, back channel. But, but really, this is the only way you can get it. It just makes that thing that much more appealing. So we had to kind of forego that Spotify love to be able to make this thing work in the physical form. But we are on Spotify, and we, we just only recently figured out a way to get our song kick hooked up to it to display tour dates properly. And there was another band called The Lights Out that was in another state that had all their stuff on our channel. It was a mess that we had to actually find someone who worked at Spotify and talk to them and so they could help us get a, a separate and straightened out. And It was a royal pain, but it, it's all fixed now. <laughs> Mm -hmm. We're happy about that, and that's good. Now, yeah. you, you mentioned shows, so um, right now it's just almost November 2017. Do you have a number of shows coming up, and where do you tour? Are you, or do you stay local, or do you... I know you've mentioned South by Southwest. You mentioned Long Island. Are you... Yeah. What, what, are, what is your sort of a road plan uh, for the band? Well, right now we're knee-deep in writing the next album, so we don't have a lot of shows planned because... Uh, the way just we, we divvy up our time is that we only get together about once a week these days. And when you're doing that, if you have a busy show schedule, then you're always prepping that set list for the show and it doesn't leave a lot of time for writing. Uh, because we're a band that has four writers and uh, we'll either bring in you know a riff or a mostly finished song or we'll just create something together there in the room. Um, we really use that time effectively for writing. And we get bummed when we play too many shows back to back because it takes us away from the writing. So right now we've only got one little club show booked uh, for the rest of the year. Um, and the rest of the time is just focused on writing. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. That's cool. And then do you, when you do, do you have merch? I mean, you must have, I would think really creative merch. Besides beer. Yeah. Besides beer. Uh, you know, are you selling led lights and things like that? So our, our genius industrial designer, drummer, uh, man, Jesse, built this thing that we call Optimus Merch. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's its own thing. It, it, from the outside, when it's all folded up, it's like a transformer. And it looks like a, a wooden box with a handle on it. Mm -hmm. But then you open it up, and it expands, and panels come out, and LED lighting comes out, and it becomes a listening station, a T-shirt thing, and um, an honor system. We call it the Crab Trap uh, box to put the money in. So we don't have to have anyone manning it when we're at a club. It, it all has instructions. You can listen to the music, watch the video on an LCD panel, and, and grab a disc and pay what you want to pay. And uh, if we also have a deal where if, if we happen to be by there, we try to get by the merch box if we can, but we're trying to run off the stage and deal with all our, our gear and everything. Uh, but we'll do, we'll do a deal where we'll be like, oh, for 20 bucks you get a T-shirt and a, um, a button that has a code on it where you can access our entire discography. Uh, 
because we found that um, if, if you're asking for, you know, say ten dollars for a CD, you, you have all these twenties to break. And if a, if a fan really loves you, it's worth it to them to spend to hand you twenty bucks and get something really special for that than worry about breaking all these tens, right? Yeah, and you're so, also uh, you're also treating the music like a piece of merch, which we right. we advocate uh, very strongly here. Yeah. Well, great. Well, we have about sixty seconds left, oh. so we should start oh. start the thank yous oh. beginning. Okay, right about well, now. I got a David Resnick question though. Ah. Uh, for a save on. Um, <laughs> quickly, can you tell us what it was like to play for Clive Davis? Ah. Well, God. That's going back many years. It was at the Columbia Record Convention the first time we played for him. And uh, it was a very uh, talent-filled convention. Uh, I believe that uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra was there. Ooh. And uh, Miles Davis had a group there. And um, I don't think Janice was there, but uh, it was jam-packed. And we had about 20 minutes. So we did basically what we've been talking about tonight as we uh, choreographed everything we did for that 20 minutes, including who was going to say what and so on and so forth. So it was just uh, a high level from the first note that only got higher and higher. So Clive came back, who uh, had met us when we signed, because we signed in his office, uh, but he didn't sign us. So he came backstage and he, I remember him saying, put out a single and I'll make you all millionaires. <laughs> and subsequently when um, he was brought up to Syracuse when I was running the program, I did ask him, so what happened? And he that's what he said to me, yeah, so what happened? <laughs> he could be very honorary at times. And then uh, another time he and John Hammond, the great impresario, uh, we were playing at the Museum of Modern Art that they still do these things out in the garden. And we were one of the first rock bands to play there. And uh, uh, either John brought Clive or Clive brought John. So we um, had his grace or met him again at that point. So those are the two times, yes. Love it. Well, there we go. And we love you. Adam yes. Ritchie. We're oh, in love with very, Adam Ritchie. Very, very. That's a new song. Adam, you should write an album about love. It's never, oh, no. never been done. They're very informative. Down to it. <laughs> we'll, we'll very informative and also very um, jam-packed with um, very well thought out campaigns and reasons why the band does what. And uh, I was going to ask you if, if beer didn't work out, what was going to be the next on your list? Well, we'd like to follow prohibition through the ages, right? <laughs> so beer was illegal and then it was legalized. So we're going to put that album on beer. I think the next one is going to be on legalized weed, as that's about to happen and may coincide right. in Massachusetts, we hope, with the release of the next one. So uh, it's going to be on some consumable, uh, edible, drinkable, smokable thing, because uh, you know, we look at a band like OK Go, and they own great videos, right? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe we can own the pairing of flavors with music. <laughs> sure, that wouldn't be so bad. Wow. Yeah. Well, this show hasn't been so bad, and we do need to go because we're going to get in trouble. So thank you, Adam Ritchie, for being on the air. Thank you, Adam Ritchie. Yes. Thanks, guys. Best Check of out luck. Can we say that again? Oh, thelightsout.com. Thelightsout.com. There we okay. go. Listen to the record. It's, it's very good, by the way.
Thank you very we, much. We never even yeah. talked about the music. I do, do dig the record, so thank you. Thank you again, Adam Ritchie, Adam Ritchie, Adam Ritchie. Thanks, Adam. Uh, thank right. you, Ashley Weltner, for uh, engineering this and making this happen. Ashley Weltner, really, thank yes. you very much. Thank you, Christian Ortez, for being the thing and using your English yes. accent from very Britain. Good. Thank you, Dr. Stable Marconi, for rocking it. Well, thank you, and also to my co-host, Professor David Kirkfield. That is who I am. And we want to thank you very much at the end of your show. We do not say hello. That would be silly. You know what's Christian, you can help us. You know what this, the thing we say at the end of every show? Adios. Adios.